Greetings. Hi, this is Teresa Willard Hughes, and I want to thank each of you for taking the time to listen to us. We just hit a big milestone. We have now well over a thousand listeners talking about Impress. Remember, we started this thing six months ago with no idea anybody would ever listen to a damn thing I have to say. We got a thousand plus people doing it. I am beyond honored, and I can't thank each of you enough. For each of you who have listened to me one time or continue to listen to this series, I thank you, humbly thank you for everything. So we're going to start a new series this time around. So it's going to be five parts. And the series is going to be about the role of trauma. There's this gentleman by the name of Eduardo Duran who wrote a book called Healing the Soul Wound, uh, Trauma-Informed Counseling for Indigenous Communities. Now, I don't know if you if I got the word wound correct because part of this whole deafness thing, there are combinations of letters that I just can't get. So a soul, S-O-U-L, wound, W-O-U-N-D. And what we're what he talks about is this holistic approach of when you look at Native Americans, if you look at historic trauma, how does all of these things interact? to the mind, body, and the spirit. I read his first edition years ago, and I've followed his work off and on during all these years, and now he's put out a second edition. But I think it's a book that you guys should all take a look at, and I'm going to post it on the website, Strong, Powerful, and Victorious, for you to take a look at so that you can look at it as a reference. It's a great guidebook. But one of the things that I, I'm looking at is how does this impact all communities of color? Because each of us, regardless of where we are, communities of color or marginalized communities, there is historic trauma. And so when we're looking at it, we're going to be looking at this whole concept of a soul wound. So the series is going to have five parts. So this podcast is going to be the first one, which is sort of an introduction of what we're going to be talking about. The next one we're going to talk about is health. Then we're looking at mental health. Then we'll be looking at society, family, and community, and incarceration. The difference in all of these is we're going to break it down by age groups. And one of the reasons for that is because we'll be able to see patterns by which that at certain points, what if we intervene? What are the steps that we could take to be able to help someone? So if you're looking at a young child who's sexually violated, do we have to wait until they're 20 or 25 by the time they're incarcerated? Or they've had several unplanned pregnancies or they may have been in human trafficking before we intervene? What are the signs early on that we could be able to intervene. And more importantly, what each of us can do as individuals to be able to help out. Many of us who have been sexually violated, we really do have a sixth sense that we could see other people who have been traumatized. Regardless of how well we try to mask it, we know one another, we can see it. And what can we do? And a big part of that, radar or whatever it is, is not working. Jets, friggin' be kind. Just say hello to people. What a difference it would make. Just smile. Doesn't take much. 
there are two incidents in which I can think of that I know I made a difference or has changed me. This young black girl uh, on what we call the BART trains, which is our subways in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And this girl, she had that black girl squeechy, real loud, like just constant. And it was like every day I'm catching the part train and dealing with this girl's mouth. Finally, one day I went over to her and I said, oh my God, you look absolutely beautiful in that sweater today. She didn't. So don't get me wrong. She did not look that great. But I said it to her and she goes, oh, you think so? And I said, yes, baby girl, you look good. You know, that girl, I could see her off and on for the next four to five years. And every time I saw her, she was the most genteel, wonderful, gracious young girl. And I asked her what happened. She said, you saw me. You talked to me. Nobody ever talks to me. And it made her feel that she was alive, that she was valid. Another time I was sitting down again on BART because you can never get a seat. Young black dude looks like a young thug. People weren't willing to sit down to him. I'm old and black. I needed to sit down and I raised black sons. So I sat down next to him, struck up a conversation with him. I don't know, somewhere along in the conversation, this guy whips out Tony Robinson's book. I don't even know which Tony Robinson book, but he whipped him out. It was like, what the hell? Yep, he started going in how Tony Robinson was his man. And he was into this. And I'm thinking, who in the hell would have ever known? And I just leaned over and gave him a, cheek, a kiss on the cheek and said, you're a wonderful young man. You should be, your parents should be proud of you. And he just beamed. Again, it doesn't take a hell of a lot. Just be kind to people. So let's start going over what we're going to do in this podcast. So as I said, we're going to talk about a soul wound. W-O-U-N-D. Again, that word throws me. But when you look at it from childhood sexual violence, incest, and rape, most of us think about a wound that hurts your arm. You put a Band-Aid on it, put some a needle cream on it, put some type of cleaning salve on it, back, and you'll be okay. But when you're talking about us who have been violated, and especially young children who are sexually violated, you got to remember certain facts. No Band-Aid's going to help with this. There's no Bactine, no Neosperm, no Neo whatever the hell it is that you can clean this wound up right away. Unless the violence stops. Because what happens is we are children. We are trapped. 80% of us know our sexual pedigree. Many of us, like I did, live with our sexual pedigree. It's not like Uncle Jimmy came over like every Christmas holiday, every four or five years, jumps out of the closet and does something violated. No, most of us are preyed upon and are violated and constantly abused. We have, as we talked about earlier, we have an infrastructure that allows the systematic sexual violation to continue for this predator to prey upon. We watch ourselves being betrayed by family members who are supposed to take care of us. So what starts out as a wound each time that we're sexually violated, or we are told that we're a piece of shit, or we see that we're being betrayed, that wound gets bigger and bigger, and it begins to fester. And I think as time goes on, it begins to ooze into our blood system. And that's where the damage for us really happens. Because all the things that we talk about that should have happened to us, that we should have been protected by family members we were betrayed. But we're, we're living with the shame of being sexually violated, and nobody helps us. We're not going to talk to the police about it, because as most kids of color, we're terrified of the police. 
every mandatory reporter needs to understand the infrastructure and the level of this child being trapped within the system. So that's how we're going to talk about this soul wound. So never think about it as, as I said, put a Band-Aid on it. Band-Aid ain't going to work, even if it's a flesh-colored Band-Aid. Hey, even if it's a Band-Aid that matches our skin tone, it ain't going to help. Because underneath our skin is this wound that we can't just boil it over. I am a perfect example of the best wound. I look good on the outside. Really decent, always well-dressed, educated, the whole freaking nine yards. But just underneath the surface, so for so many years, I was just boiling with anger. And then constantly trying to tap down my anger so somebody doesn't think, oh, she's just another angry black woman. I was pissed off, not quite angry, just pissed off. And I think that we all of it. But I also learned the health consequences of that anger, how much it took away from me, who I am. So let's just look around what's happening in the world right now. We know that a number of very young children under the age of 10 and 12 are sexually being exploited on digital pornography. That information is plastered out there for everybody in the world to see. These young kids are being brutalized, talking about a festering wound, talking about something that's going to be oozing, talking about something that's going to hurt them. Just recently, there was a case in Atlanta where 39 kids were rescued. The youngest kid was three years old. The oldest was 17. They're putting up being violated there if they either were or they're in the midst of getting ready to have happened to being exploited and sexually violated. Reimagine the term I said, the youngest one was three years old. This is what is happening, not just in the United States, but around the world. And what happens is, if you add all of the stress, if you add their health issues, you add all the things together, what ends up happening is you're setting us up from those very young ages for healthcare problems, mental health problems, and you add on the healthcare disparities and the racial injustice, we are a mess as a result of this. This is why we have to talk about this. So the other problem that we have with people of color, especially black, brown, and Native American girls, is this term called adulteration, which is at a very young age, some as young as five and yet five and twelve, somehow Mandatory reporter types, be the police, be social worker, be it teachers, be it whoever that they are supposed to be in charge. They don't see us the same way as they see young white girls. They see us as we don't need nurturing. We're tough. We're people that don't need nurturing. We, can we don't need to worry about what our mental health issues are. We are different than young, quote-unquote, innocent white No. Not really. We're all kids. But by the time that you adulterate us, by the time you view us as not needing nurturing, not needing to have patience to see who we are, not showing levels of kindness toward us, not seeing us for people and children, you have adulterated us. And then, oh, by the way, let's not forget, at an early age, we're supposed to be sexual objects. Think about the fact that all those combinations it eliminates us from having a childhood. 
And what happens to us, are, no one seems to care. But more importantly, those people who are supposed, again, supposed to protect us, the police, social workers, healthcare workers, teachers, if they don't see us as children, how are they going to care for us? How are they going to be able to look and say, maybe this is what's happening with this child? We are written off as these hard-ass children very early. Trust me, we are hard-ass for certain reasons. We are hard-ass because we have to learn to survive. How many of us grew up knowing there was no need of us crying after being sexually violated? Because nobody was going to give a damn and wipe our tears. Nobody was going to give a damn what ended up happening to us. We, we develop a higher level of tolerance of pain, not because we're tougher than white children or innocent children. It's because we have to survive. We are children and we're learning how to survive and taking on these methods that we have no education of how to be able to do it. But we are trying to figure out just how to get through the friggin' ass day is really what this comes down to. And so, yes, our tolerance of pain has gotten higher. Not because we want it, not because it's genetic. It's because we have been violated. We don't cry a lot because crying ain't going to do us any good. We have to be able to see these young children differently than we are. And it's not race. It's not culture. It's that any of us who have been sexually violated a long period of time, we used to have to develop our own coping skills. So here's the thing that I'm looking at. One of the reasons I said that we had to look at this by age is it provides us an opportunity to intervene. And one of the things that I think that we have to do is that each of us need to step up. I'm 71. I'll be 72 in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that I'm old enough, I've experienced enough in life, that I know that I need to reach back. I need, that's what this podcast is about, is me reaching back and saying, what can I do? In every way possible, we got to find a way to make a difference. We have to. We have made it. Many of us are standing in some form, maybe not as tall as we've talked about before, as we want to. We're not as strong as we want to. But the reality is we are some tough cookies. We are some strong, powerful, and victorious people. And it's time that we don't understand it for ourselves. And it's time that we start teaching these younger kids that they do not need to be destroyed. And what can we do to help them? And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's take the time to talk about each one of the next series steps that we're going to be doing. So when we're looking at the health care, one of the things that we're going to look at in this podcast series, again, by age group and what we can do to intervene. What is the stress levels of a young child? How does that stress level and these our own little coping skills be able to make a difference? I can tell you this, and I think we talked about it before. There are certain things that as a child you can learn to do things you can control. I controlled my bowels because I was terrified of going to the bath. And I've heard from other people, a lot of us are. Why? Because we don't want to be in that bath with our and our fathers or whoever the predator comes in and rapes us and we look vulnerable. And, but as a result of that, I've had nothing but problems with my GI series, my body. For years, I've, I've battled IBS, 
These are the things that happened to me when I was a kid. We learn to tolerate pain so that if somebody says to you, are you hurting this light? No, my level of pain versus somebody else's level of pain is quite different because I've learned to cope with pain for years. I've learned to ignore it to be able to survive. So when you look at a young child, what can we do to intervene? But you think about that kid's stress level at a very young age. While they're supposed to be learning in school and becoming educated, they're stressed out. The level of stress on a young child who's being violated is unreal because you are alone. And never forget that aloneness because you don't talk to anybody about it because there's nothing. You're so ashamed you can't talk it. So if you add then going on to get someone who's a teenager, those teenage years are critical as well. Because remember the study by JAMA where it showed that 3.3 million women from the eight, in the U.S. from the ages of 18 to 44 were sexually violated. The average age for her as a girl is 15. So that makes her, what, a freshman or a sophomore in high school? Think about the pressures of that. Think about the stress of that. Think about the violation to her and her mind. Again, she's supposed to be able to study. How in the hell are you studying after you've been raped all the time? It is, I can tell you, it is a challenge to be able to do. Now they have all these standardized tests. You've got to be able to keep up. If you're being raped all the time, if you're being manipulated and mind-screwed all the time, it's hard to freaking concentrate on what the hell is happening in the history class, let alone an algebra class or geometry class. You are hanging on by your fingernails just to get through each day. Now you have to try to figure out how to manage and cope. Not a lot of us can compartmentalize. And that's what we're talking about. So add that stress. Think about the young kids who are obese. Think about the middle school and high school kids that become obese. How many of them are doing that, hoping that they will no longer look attractive to someone? You know, the predator will leave alone. I think the term is where you hate your body. But what happens to that, even as a young kid, is say if you aren't even being sexually violated, you see a sibling or you know that it's happening, but you, none of us are talking about it. But you have this feeling that it's happening. You don't want to get your period. You don't want to get budding breasts because you know that by the time that your breasts develop or you get your period, you're classified as a woman. And as a result of that, you're vulnerable. There's so many ways in which that we are stressed out as young children in our teenage years that nobody talks about. So by the time that we reach our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that little wound that started out, again, is just festering. It is just oozing into our bloodstream. We have limited our educational opportunities because we can't freaking think. We can't be able to manage. Our health is compromised from all the so-called coping skills that we learned as a kid. It may be drinking. It may be taking drugs. We're trying to numb it. We may be overeating. So that plays out in our diabetes. It plays out in cancer. It plays out in liver cancer. It plays out in hepatitis C. Talk about the STDs. Talk about the unplanned pregnancy. This crap plays out all over. And it goes back to being wounded as children. How can we intervene? How can we make our healthcare systems understand? 
How do we teach our first responders to see us, not that person that they think they were supposed to be, but actually see the pain that we're in? So that's what this podcast series is. I'm already talking with a group of women who are incarcerated to try to find out, to have a a decent conversation with them about what was the role that being violated as a child, being betrayed as a family by family members, that led them into eventually being incarcerated. That is a critical conversation because you look at around this country, the fastest demographic, the fastest population of people who are being incarcerated are not men, but they're women. They're moms. Two-thirds, if not even higher, of them are parents. They are single moms. So what happens to them, again, from this festering room from some bastard violating them years ago, ends up playing into their children because they're being incarcerated and separated from their kids. This wound concept, this trauma, this festering, and how it oozes into our system, we need to have some serious-ass conversation. So that's what this podcast series is going to do. I want you to join me in this. I'm not very good on social media, as all of you know. I'm not very good about figuring out blogs. I'm trying to figure out how to do that because I want to be able to engage more in conversation. So right now, I just want to thank each of you for listening to us once again. I also want you to join us in, in this whole series. I think it's going to be fantastic because I'm writing it now. So in the meantime, I want you to all to stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll chat with you again soon. God bless you all. Be safe. Take care. Teresa.